Welcome to COVID Conversations, Life in a Time of Corona. This is a podcast from the Ohio State University Center for Folklore Studies. In it, we hear from artists, scholars, and humanities professionals in Ohio in conversation with their counterparts elsewhere in the world about how their work, their thinking, and their creativity has been affected and informed by the coronavirus pandemic. I'm Rachel Hopkin. I'm a folklorist and radio producer based in Dublin, Ohio. And in today's episode, which we're recording remotely on the 4th of May of 2021, I'm joined by two musicians and songwriters. Flocko Torres is a hip-hop artist based in Akron, Ohio, where, along with producer-drummer HR3, he's part of the duo Free Black. Sebastian Arce lives in Asuncion in Paraguay, where he's a member of the reggae grunge band Deficiente. Flocko and Sebastian, thanks so much for joining me for this COVID conversation. Thanks you. Yeah, thank you for having us. I guess I'll start just by checking in to see how's it going for you both. Flocko, do you want to go first? It's going, you know. I could complain, but it's, it doesn't really help anything. So just trying to make it work. Sebastian? My second child was born about five days ago. So I'm I'm on the moon right now. I'm pretty pretty good despite all the other shit that's going on. Can I say that? Can I say shit? Absolutely. And congratulations. Congrats. Thanks, buddy. Yeah, no, I'm pretty good. Despite everything else, uh, luckily, I got a kind of like a single mind right now. So pretty good. I'm sure. So what have you got? He's a boy. He's a boy. Uh, Hugo Gael is his name. Lovely. It's so nice to hit good news at this time, I think. Extra nice. Yeah. So going back early in 2020, do you remember when you first realized that coronavirus was going to be something that was going to affect you, the world around you, and the world at last. Flocko, again, I'll come back to you first. I think it actually happened before we got to the stay-at-home orders. I remember the first time I heard about it in February, and there was just something about how it was being downplayed. And I was like, this is really odd that they're just acting like this isn't going to be, this couldn't potentially be a thing. And then it just, it did become a thing. So that was kind of my thought with it. Sebastian, what about you? Can you tell us a little bit about how it was getting reported in Paraguay and when things seems really serious? The first news, I think it was something, you know, it was still in China. It was in December. And then as January and February started, my students really started to talk about it more. I'm a high school teacher in social sciences. And I was pretty sure, you know, it wasn't going to be a big deal. I was running the statistics. I said, you know, this isn't that much worse than the flu back in 2018. But I definitely had to, what is it, eat those words. I still remember getting the text from one of my seniors. And he was like, hey, mister, no class tomorrow. It was like March 12th to the 13th. And then he had to eat those words as well, because a couple months later, he was begging to come back to school. <laughs> <laughs> so your musical lives consist of ahead of the pandemic what was like a typical week or month for you Sebastian a typical week I'm a teacher from 7 30 to 4 and then usually I have rehearsals in the afternoon twice a week with one band once a week with another and then sometimes I do my own thing so usually like two to four hours of music in the afternoon and it was going good we were playing some shows we had won an award to uh, record a, an EP we were in the routine and things were working and then they weren't. You're in this band. Can you tell me a little bit more about it? It's called Deficiente. There are five of us. I sing and I play guitar and there's another singer. He's kind of the lead creative and I kind of back him up. I guess Deficiente, we just try and sing about what our reality is in, in Paraguay. I think it's really summed up really well in, in this lyric that the singer wrote. Uh, seco en la crema, cheto en la villa, which I guess would translate something as like 
dry when there's the creme, like a, the cream of society. We're dry in the cream, and then we're rich in the hood. Rich in the hood, dry, dry with the cream. And we kind of feel like you're you're not don't really fit in with the you know the I would I don't know how to say the dregs of society, but the most uh, disenfranchised groups of our society. But we definitely don't fit in with the people who are running all the businesses, running the country, which is kind of the same thing here. That's kind of where we fit in. And, and I think most people in Paraguay sort of feel that way, where we're just a week away or maybe a month away or maybe two months away from really being in a hard state. But we're not so, there's not really too much reason to complain. But we're far off from being having any real democratic voice as well. So it's a, it's a weird balance. Okay, so it sounds like the music you create is socially critical. Uh, yeah, socially critical through a reflexive lens. I think we end up making fun of ourselves just as much as we kind of point things out, you know, because we're part of the same problem. You know, I still drive my car to work seven, eight miles every day. I don't take the bus because it's going to take me two hours to get there. So, you know, I'm still part of the same problem with the kind of global warming and stuff that I sing about. We put that into it as well, where it's like, hey, I know I'm not exempt from the same critique I'm throwing out there, but here it is. Como en todos lados, primero plata, después la risa De Ángel Petardo y una suerte que decía Seco en la crema, cheto en la villa Buscando una verdad que al final solo vamos perfectos el peor de egoísta I think it has to do with like a, a, a belonging I was listening to Flaco's lyrics I can't remember the exact song, but he was saying that you know he really started in this place and if it makes you feel uncomfortable that's your problem he really owns where he came from whereas for us we feel rather uncomfortable because we're being highly critical but most people i think in paraguay would say hey you know what i mean there's people worse off than you why are you even singing about this and looking at other countries in south america and the things that they would rise up and march on colombia's right now heated protests Things are way worse in Paraguay than in Colombia, but, you know, in Paraguay, we've learned to stay quiet, not complain too much as long as you have a little bit of food on the table. And since we're not comfortable doing that, we will complain. That's where, you know, we're kind of stuck between these two worlds. Really, most people are in that world. You know, most of us are working class people pretending maybe to be middle class, middle upper class but we're all kind of in the same boat in the end. Paraguay is a very classist society, you know? That's what it really comes down to. I think the quintessential song is Barret, uh, Barret, and I think it really captures the feeling of hopelessness where you, you want to contribute something, but you know that anything you contribute is just going to be kind of used against you. And so it kind of captures that. And on the other hand, it's very playful. We try not to be too serious. You know, we, need, we want people to listen to the message. So we, we like to make pop reggae music uh, so that people listen to it. But then if you sit down and listen to the lyrics, Hopefully you get exposed to something, I guess.
Some of Barrette by Deficiente, the band featuring one of my guests here today, Sebastian Arce. Flocco, now I want to put the same question to you. What did your typical musical life look like pre-COVID? And can you tell us a little bit about your musical and artistic uh, raison d'etre? Yeah, I did want to say first, Sebastian, I, I love everything you were saying. And I'm glad that I was on pace with what I was thinking when I listened to the music, because Beret, if I'm saying it right, was my favorite song out of the ones that I had listened to because of the lyrics and how it sounded. I noticed those things quickly and I was like, oh man, this shit they're saying is kind of fucked up, but this song is really fun. But I was like, I, I like when bands do that. So that's like super dope. Thanks, man. Um, Yeah, leading up to COVID, I had a lot of shows. So I was just kind of in that mode, like constantly getting ready for two or three shows a week. My Day-to-day is still a little bit of the same because during the day, I also do a lot of community work. I work with a journalism organization called The Devil Strip, and I do community outreach, audience development, a whole bunch of other things. But that work kind of ties into a lot of the content that I talk about as an artist. So some days I'm really lucky to be able to be doing both at the same time. Something we'll be working on at the magazine will spark a song idea. Most weekdays, it boils down from like six in the morning when I get up to work out or do yoga or whatever to about nine o'clock every day. I'm doing both of those things at the same time. And then you have rehearsals and things like that. And then you get to the weekend and I'm usually gigging Thursday to Saturday every weekend. I swore off weekday gigs a long time ago, unless I'm on tour. Cause they're just, they're always shit. I don't care if you sell tickets. <laughs> Even if you're selling it out, it's just like people on a Monday night, just they kind of want to be out, but they don't. You're right. That sums me up totally on a Monday night out. You have to go out to support, but you don't really want to be there. It's like, I've got to go to, how am I going to get my hours of sleep in? Yeah. <laughs> I do miss live shows, but that's one of the things that I don't miss. I mean, as far as an artist, I just, uh, I, I just try to take in what I see, what I hear and spit it back out in the best way possible. The song... Sebastian was talking about, I think it's open-ended and it's one of the songs where I'm doing commentary about, uh, as a black American, one of the things that happens is you kind of get put in these little silos, like, oh, you're this kind of black, you're that kind of black. And that was why I started the group Free Black. It's like, we're free to be whatever version we want to be. And then if you're not black, you take that off and you put free whatever your thing is. And a line in the song from the open-ended song, one of mine, it was, People will say to you like, well, you're not black enough or you're not that kind of black. And that's what that line was about. It's like, I'm actually from the places that you're afraid to go to or the neighborhoods people call sketchy or whatever other racist, classist sort of thing that they can say. Because I do think I dress in a way that people don't think is black or I speak in a way that they don't think is black. They say those things. And that's what that line was about was I'm actually from where you're scared to go. So when you're talking about those people or those neighborhoods you're actually talking about me and my family and things like that i love that line i appreciate it man something's gotta give or maybe i just gotta get a grip i'm working this hard to change conditions where i live they cutting my hours at every single job i get the news channel saying that my people ain't shit when i open my mouth i know some people might forget i came up in them same neighborhoods that you fear so when you try to tell me that i'm not like them on the contrary, sir, I'm just like them. Uh, I've been at the crib doing some soul searching. Stick around, some real feelings might surface. Your old policies ain't working. 
They scared of change like it don't spin the same. Uh, been stuck in their ways regardless of the traffic. So when they drive through the lane, you see they couldn't hack it. You want the best of both worlds, and when you seem ready, I'm reminded of what happened to Hov at R. Kelly. And now they want social commentary out of Flacco. That shows that you ain't listening much as far as I go. I guess you're tired of hearing about Mercy and Lagos. Wine you never heard of, women chilling in condos. Maybe you need somebody giving a fuck. But sometimes I think no matter what, it's never enough. The stakes are rare, times are tough. Beers on ice, so pull a chair up and let's talk about how to pull the world on its air Like discipline of recent years My mind used to correct me anytime when I spoke to her I'd never feel inadequate when I wasn't close to her She said your generation's kind of faulty on the loyalty Don't let them tell you that you didn't come from royalty So when you call me a nigga, I know I ain't one It's not my fault that you ashamed where you came from I see So you were both playing a lot of shows pre-COVID and presumably a bunch of those had to get cancelled. And I'm curious to know what it's like to be a musician and songwriter who's suddenly having to create in a vacuum. You don't have that immediate feedback of the audience or the inspiration or the energy from the audience. Flocko, tell me about that. To me, it wasn't that much of a, a shift because I do create a lot of stuff by myself as some sort of weird curse that I've gotten for some reason. I do create a lot of things by myself. So that was the easiest part. The part that was the hardest was the amount of music that I create. So I was still getting the same request, but then now I'm not going anywhere. Now I'm not seeing anybody, I'm not traveling, and I'm getting 10, 15 requests a week to do songs as if I'm 10 or 15 different people. I said to people multiple times last year, I was like, do you think I have anything to talk about? Like I haven't done anything in eight months. I don't have anything. Flocko, you said you were getting requests. Can you tell me a little bit more about what you mean by that? How are you getting requests for songs? In what context is that happening? They're basically collaboration requests. People will reach out and say, hey, I, you know, I heard your music, really like what you're doing. Would you want to do a song together? Or producers are sending out beats and trying to find artists to work with. So they'll say, hey, can I send you some beats? So they'll send from just the drums to a fully fleshed out instrumental. And then it'll go from maybe this song will have a chorus on it. Maybe it'll already have verses on it. Maybe the song will be done and they just leave a little part for me to do my part. Most of the time, what I experience is they don't have an idea or they have a very small version of an idea that isn't fleshed out. And they basically want me to turn it into something. Uh, and it's, you know, it's a cool problem to have. It's a frustrating problem at times, too, because you'll get people that just send you a blank canvas. They don't know what they want. And you're supposed to pull a rabbit out of a hat most of the time for no money, which is my frustration. But uh, I do it most of the time because I do believe if you don't use your talents, they get taken away from you. So I, I try to just respect that I'm here to do something and, and just keep making things and, and see what happens. So am I understanding that after COVID hit, because... Everybody was kind of sitting around thinking, oh, what am I going to do? You got tons more of these requests than you usually got. Very much so. The same way I'm sure everyone has experienced, there are way more virtual meetings than there were in-person meetings. I feel like it's the same thing. It's like every idea is a good idea now because you're by yourself. Like when you can't see body language, when you can't see people squirming or like getting on their phone and you know you need to wrap it up, when you don't have any of that you will just blindly send out songs like, I think this is a good idea. And it's like, and it's probably not, but we'll waste 
75 hours learning that it wasn't a good idea to begin with. How long does it usually take you to turn a song over? Like you see something and you want to talk about it. How long does it take you to get that out there so people can hear it? I think it depends on the situation and if me and the universe are in tune. You know, some songs I will leave a, a bar and come home and be like, bam, that's what that beat was for. Or uh, there was actually a song I was recording before we hopped on here. Dude sent me the beat in December and I'm just now getting verses out on it. It was, it couldn't be written in the wintertime. I have no idea why. <laughs> like, but the second it started warming up, words started coming to me. So I think it just depends on the song. It depends on the, the concept. How long does it take you to do a song, Sebastian? Well, Paraguay's very machista. We're very sexist over here. But I think that a good friend of mine saying sums it up well. If you have a band, then it's like having a girlfriend, but it's worse because there are five of them. And everybody's opinion counts. So it takes <laughs> way too long. That's not me saying that that's him. But no, it takes way too long, you know, and that's one of the things that I like about what, what COVID has made me shift to doing some more solo stuff that if I have an idea, then it's just me and the computer. The negative part is I don't get the critical feedback from other musicians that I respect and I don't get the kind of work through the band and everybody has to put in their opinion. And you know, when it comes out the other end, it's going to be decent. But then on the plus side, if it's something that you just feel like you had to get out there, it's out and you could put it out in a week or even a day. If you just really feel and you have time, then it goes down and, and, and it's out. So Flacco, how often do you do those like in your day to day nowadays? How often do you do that? Like those collaborations versus how often do you do free black? Um, whew. on a good week, I'm probably knocking out like three or four of those a day. Three or four collaborations a day? Either collaboration, like a, a mix of collaborations, solo songs, and then free black songs. Like over the past two weeks, I've probably gotten out about 40 references. Damn. What do you mean by references? References are usually, that word is usually used when it's, it's just an idea. You send me the beat, I may mumble a chorus that doesn't have it you know it's just a melody it doesn't have any words to it but i'll give you a a 16 bar verse like hey i don't know the words to the chorus yet but here's my verse see if you can get anything out of that or there are some times where my reference ends up being the entire song that we end up using and i'm just thinking like oh, okay well let me this is the first idea let me see what they think of it and then if somebody ends up liking it it's like okay well now let me clean up the vocals and do all of that but reference is just that like it's a reference to what I think this should sound like let me know what you think it sounds like COVID didn't dent your creativity in any way in fact it almost kind of like gave you too much time to be creative or how did it affect you in terms of your creative music making persona I definitely did have more time like everybody else I also I had to soul search like everybody else there was a couple months where I realized that I've been playing shows and been traveling since 2008 and there's a lot that I felt like I didn't know myself the first couple months. And I was like, what the fuck do I do when I'm not moving all the time, when I'm not getting ready for shows, when I'm not constantly doing stuff? So I don't think it dented my creativity. It made me slow down, which was good. It made me start looking at a lot of projects and a lot of things that I was doing. It was just like, why do you have six, seven hundred unfinished songs on your hard drive? And why are they not on Spotify? <laughs> exactly. So I, I think it did that for me. It just made me um, be a little more strategic about how I try to move and how I try to think about things. Sebastian, what about you? How did you find your songwriting life, creative 
inspiration was affected by COVID, both initially and sort of as it became the new normal? It started as two weeks for us. So in two weeks, we're all going back to school. Everything's going to be back to normal. And then after those two weeks, we realized, no, it's going to be a lot more than two weeks, not even going to be two months. I'm pretty optimistic. And I felt like similar to uh, what the two um, symphony orchestra musicians were saying in one of your previous podcasts. You're talking about Mark Kosowa from the Cleveland Orchestra and Matthew Hunter from the Berlin Philharmonic, who are my guests a few podcasts back. Exactly. They were saying that, you know, people need to listen to music. In times like these, music is what's going to carry us through. And so I really felt that way. I'm not a big social media person necessarily, but I was getting on there. I was covering songs and just trying to keep things uh, moving and so on. And I spent a lot of time rehearsing. I was doing that until uh, things were safe enough uh, for us to start getting together and continue writing our, our new EP. And then I realized that the pandemic and the kind of lock-in had affected each of us in very different ways where I was feeling very optimistic. The lead singer felt, I think, something like what Flacco was saying, where if you can't go out and get that inspiration, if you're locked inside, what are you going to sing about? I mean, this is a person who just kind of will walk out onto the street carrying his acoustic guitar and is going to run into people and, and kind of come up with ideas and kind of come up with songs. But being locked in his house, he didn't have anything to say. Some people weren't working. So it was difficult for us to all be in sync in the band. And we had this deadline that we had to meet for this award we'd won. And the deadline kept changing. We never felt comfortable with, with what we were uh, producing. And then there was the pandemic and there was this kind of underlying frustration and rage that we tried to push through the music as much as we could. Now, having finished that and having gone into a little break between all of us and kind of been able to uh, look back at, at what we've done, super excited about what we were able to do, all being on a different page when we really wanted to take this opportunity to write a, a record that was really a little piece of all of us coming out of the other end. Now we're starting to want to get together. We want to rehearse again. And I think we're all starting to feel comfortable with what is happening uh, the pandemic is still raging here. We don't have any vaccines or anything yet, but we kind of feel all right with what we want to say about things. So it was a weird kind of like post-traumatic stress where you're working through this stuff and you really didn't want to be working, but you're really grateful for what you have the opportunity to do. You're healthy. You got a band. You won this award, so you should be stoked and doing this this great music, but it was forced and it, it didn't need to be. And now we're just kind of letting it flow again, uh, starting to get together and just a couple of acoustic guitars and singing about whatever silliness comes up. So what kinds of subjects have you been writing about and composing about during this time? Are you looking at stuff that's very kind of like of the moment or are you seeking escape in your music? Sebastian, let me come back to you. I've been playing in this kind of hard rock band on the side, uh, this hard rock trio is just having some fun. And when the height of lockdown, that kind of became my escape where there's bands that I like, like uh, the Misfits. All their songs are just based on horror movies. And so I say, well, if these guys can just write amazing songs that are just based off of watching a horror movie. And I just kind of started doing that. And just to kind of keep the muscles going getting inspiration from places where I usually wouldn't get inspiration from, kind of 
uh, locked away in that way. Such as? Uh, the Joker. The Joker movie, which was also very socially critical. American Psycho, which is also socially critical. But I couldn't, I couldn't do it myself. I couldn't go there myself. I don't know if I wasn't strong enough or too scared or what it was, but I couldn't do it myself. But if I could go it through the lens of a movie, then it became kind of disassociated. And I could end up singing about something that was very present in a way that I could distance myself emotionally. And that was very comforting. And it kind of let me do this work of working through these things, especially between when we finished the EP. So like around December and now which, you know, Flacco sounds like he writes a ton of songs, but for me, eight songs in a couple months is a lot. So just being able to write those songs and to feel comfortable. And now I feel like I can go back and sing about things that are more present, like the protests that are going on here, political parties, uh, headquarters that are being burnt down, uh, and different things that are socially present here. I, I kind of feel like I have some authority to sing about it in an honest way. The authority is the honesty about it and being able to really just take it in and spit it out. Because if you're not well with yourself, then you're not going to be able to really refract what's going on with society, which I think is where me and Flacco meet, is that we both just absorb what it is and put it through ourselves and spit it back out. Mm -hmm. But if you're not well enough to do that, then you read your own lyrics and it doesn't even sound like you anymore 100 percent, yeah go for it flocko when you first reached out i think that was one of the conversations we were having is that i was actually trying to make an album about exactly what was happening so when you say you you're saying you as in me rachel yes yes because I, I i don't remember if any of them had come out yet at that time i can't remember like early i remember you saying that you found it boring being creative at that point and I think we spoke, hang on, I've got it in my notebook here. Oh, it was in August. It was in August of 2020. Oh, yeah, okay. So one of them had come out. I put out a song called Revolution is the New Normal that came out in June, shortly after George Floyd was murdered. Because I think Ahmad, is, this happened so much, you can't, I can't remember all the names. Uh, I think Ahmad Arbery was murdered in like April or something like that, April of 2020. So I started working on that song and I made the beat and I had the first verse and it just, it took me a couple months to write the second verse, but I was attacking everything head on because I felt like I go back and forth between that. Um, you know, if you're not saying anything, then, you know, you shouldn't put any, I go back and forth sometimes. Like some days I'm really, I'm really about that. And then some days I'm not, but during the pandemic, I didn't feel like, and I think that's what I was expressing to you, Rachel. I didn't feel like making party songs. I didn't feel like making fun songs. Like uh, here in Ohio, people were protesting to go back to work to open the gyms up. All of these very, very strange things. People didn't want to wear the mask anymore, open the bars up, like all this stuff was happening. So I was like, I want to kind of report on this through song. So I just started like line by line, sound by sound, song by song, making songs about the moment. And my plan was to put the album out while we were still in it to hopefully jolt some people. Like, yeah, don't you see how stupid we're acting? You know what I mean? Like that kind of thing. But yeah, I, I tried to attack it head on and I did put a couple of those songs out. So once I got the groove of what I was trying to do, I pretty much was just like watching the news and waiting for the right time to put out the song as kind of like a news report. So 
the revolution song came out when the uh, protests were happening all last summer. Is this the new normal? You wonder why nobody warned you? Mm, if you got it, then keep it on you. Mm, if you got it, then keep it on you. Is this the new normal? You wonder why nobody warned you? Mm, if you got it, then keep it on you. If you got it, then keep it on you. Another day, another headline. Trying to get the bedtime. Pistol by the bedside, just to keep my head right. I'm standing with the people to the day that I fall. We've been trying to cheat the system, but they fucking us all. I got scenarios for every single dollar I save. Been preparing for this shit since my younger days. First, the people underpaid. Raid the grocery stores. Now it's hunger games. Turn on each other. It's my people first, the ones that slain human nature. Yeah, that's just human nature And we been knew that the government wasn't here to save us So I ain't tripping off that propaganda y'all just made up I'm doing pull-ups at the light, nigga, get your weight up I'm in the middle of the valley, ready to rush the stage Let's hit the banks before the National Guard lock the state down We been out scouting all the spots, we can stay down Ain't just once in the blue, this is every day now Is this the new normal? You wonder why nobody warned you? Mm, if you got it, then keep it on you. Mm, if you got it, then keep it on you. This is the new normal. You wonder why nobody wants you. Mm, if you got it, then keep it on you. Mm, if you got it, then keep it on you. Some men just want to see this world burn. And we don't ran out of patience waiting for our turn. My dog skin is viewed less than in every single cash system. Even outside of the states, fam, you still a nigga. And every day you got this feeling with ya. And you can change your opinion, I remain a victim. And you can see both sides, and I could die before you post that picture of yourself with your caption about your optimism like we are. The problem never seems to arise until we start to speak that value that you scared of inside. This ain't a chip on my shoulder, this your knee on his neck. We said defunct. On the police, we start defending the checks. We want arrests and convictions. The rest is performance. So save all of the gestures that we never asked for. I love when Kim Jones told us how we could win. See, I'm lucky we forgive and ain't looking for revenge, mama. It's just the new normal. You wonder why nobody wants you. Mm, if you got it, then keep it on you. Mm, if you got it, then keep it on you. It's the new normal. You wonder why nobody wants you. Mm -hmm. If you got it, then keep it on you. Mm -hmm. If you got it, then keep it on you. Protesters decide to leave Waffle House alone. That's Revolution is a New Normal by Flocko Torres, a very powerful track. Um, Flocko, can you tell us about some of the other pieces you were putting out during this time? The Homecoming song came out in November winter was coming up and people were starting to realize like, yo, we're still at home. Like we're still working from home. We're still doing this. Um, I put out a song called don't go in like February of this year. And that song was kind of about the separation anxiety of you don't get to see people that much. So when you put together that one safe hangout with people, that thing about leaving, like you don't want the hangout to end. Cause you know, the next time you're going to see him is in like 30 days or something as opposed to the way it was before the pandemic. So yeah, I just tried to report as accurately on the moment as I could. And that was a coping thing for me because I didn't feel like I could talk to anybody about what was happening here in America because 
the perspectives that were out there were not conversations I wanted to have with people. It's this thing, you know, it's not a conversation you want to have with somebody because you feel it inside. And, and if you have to explain it and put it into words to somebody, there are no words. There are no words. And I don't know, man, I'm way down here. But for you, person of color in the United States at that time, I can imagine there would be no words. And if you have to explain it to somebody in words, then better just stay quiet. Because if they don't understand already, then you're not going to be able to explain it to them. Yeah, it was, I was hearing from people that I haven't heard from in a decade when George Floyd was murdered. And they're like, hey, I just want to check in on you. And, you know, well intentions and and things like that. But it was such a strange thing to be happening because in my mind, I was like, you were coming to shows 10 years ago when I was talking about these same things when they killed somebody, another black person. So I was feeling resentment at times because I, I was like, this is only a priority for you now because the pandemic affects everybody. If the pandemic was just somehow Black Americans staying at home, you wouldn't have called me. <laughs> oh, man, you got to laugh so you don't cry. Yeah, I mean, it, it was everybody. So I, I understood that that was a part of some of the well intentions is that people had the time to be well intentioned, but they didn't in years prior. And I'm sure I've been the same way with other struggles of, of, of my friends and things like that. It's just the nature of humans, I guess. But it was a weird ass time. So I was just trying to put those records out. And the thing you said about the vaccine is exactly what I was feeling with all that stuff that was happening last year. It was just like, this shit is affecting the entire world. And y'all are standing outside the state building saying, why can't the gyms be open? And I was just like, fam, I, there's no, it feels like there's no priority with certain conversations. Like this shit is not important right now. Go home. Like, I don't want to wear the mask either, but pull it over your nose. Like, what What the fuck are we doing? So it was just, yeah, it was just a lot. Does writing about these subjects, um, creating music about these subjects, feel like a cathartic process? I feel, I, I've spoken to quite a lot of artists in the process of making this podcast. And for example, a couple of YA fiction writers that I spoke with a couple of episodes back, they were just like, no, I'm not looking at the pandemic for at least, you know, five years. But it sounds like you have both been able to get into subjects that are very present now. And how does that affect you emotionally and psychologically? Uh, it, it's, it does a lot. It does a lot. Uh, the first time I got to re perform Revolution uh, in October at this like drive up concert, which was really cool, but also very weird. I teared up the first time that I did it because it was just, uh, you know, being stuck in the house. It was I made the song. I got to put it out. I didn't really get any, re there was a mini release of being able to put that statement out and seeing people react to it, but I hadn't got to perform it. And I was halfway through the second verse and I just realized how angry I was and it just kind of started to happen. So there is a bit of a, a cathartic thing, I think you said to it. And then for me, the rest of it is just like, I don't really know what I'm here to do. Sometimes I feel like I do. Sometimes I feel like I don't. So I just try not to think about it that much if i was gifted the words or whatever it is this is what i'm doing right now and we'll talk about it in 10 years or or y'all will talk about it and i won't be here or whatever the hell you know what i mean i just try to just try to do and be and see what happens for me the cathartic is being with my students because i think for me the cathartic moment is being with the audience and i haven't played live i mean we've done a couple what we call fake lives where you put it on youtube or whatever uh but there's no audience 
Asuncion's not a very big place, and Paraguay's not a very big place either. Most people are concentrated in either the capital, Asuncion, or in the satellite cities. So we try and get out and play shows in the kind of cities nearby. But since that was off the table, writing music, you know, Flago's been saying, you know, we're all going through the same thing. We're all going through the same thing. My music is supposed to kind of make you have to look at things in a different way. And I can't do that because I'm, I'm all of a sudden, we're all in the same thing. So why am I going to tell you what you feel? Most, a lot of people probably going through harder times than, than me. Here there was cases of, you know, especially in the most disenfranchised neighborhoods, people would get together and try and, and make a meal, you know, make a big pot so that everybody would have something to eat. And the police would show up and say, you know, you're breaking protocol, quarantine protocol, you got to close this down. Man, I have really no authority to talk about those kinds of issues. So I'm just going to stay quiet. And, and in the midst of that, you have a situation where the government really is not honest here, hasn't been really ever. Paraguay is uh, famous for having the longest dictatorship, I think, of any country, at least in the Americas, ever. It was over 60 years of dictatorship. So my wife says it to me. She says, you know, we've been trained to just accept whatever comes from the top down. And it's only now with this new generation, the dictatorship ended around 1990. It's only now with the millennials that they're starting to ask questions and you have the internet and you have all of these new ideas. And I'm kind of in the middle. I think me and Flacco are about the same age. I'm, I'm 33. And it's like, well, I'm you know, they can say it much better than me. And you have people who are enraged and saying these things. We had friends who were incarcerated for protests, for peaceful protests that turned violent through no fault of their own. And we were getting calls or messages or whatever, come play in front of the police headquarters to, you know, in protest of our friend being incarcerated. And we would have loved to go, but we just felt so hopeless to say anything about it so it songwriting definitely doesn't feel a uh, cathartic i think for me it's been more of an escape and a kind of a roundabout okay let's make sure we're okay emotionally so that we can then write those songs so that then we can go out and have these experiences and write about it but it, it's too present especially the kind of music i do you know it's supposed to be fun i haven't been able to find the the fun edge to it and at the same time you know, just like uh, Flacco said, people in front of City Hall asking for the bars to open and you're worried about much more serious and, and present issues. So it's been a very confusing time. I felt pretty comfortable about where I was before. There was a clear rage that we all kind of felt. And, and with this now, there's too many different ideas, too many different opinions to try and sift through. Uh, so I think my songwriting has definitely taken a, a backseat and I'm thinking a lot more about what I say in the classroom. I'm thinking about a lot more about what I say anywhere and trying to listen, trying to listen a lot more. You know, uh, I've got some friends that are bar owners and man, they have to eat. If their bar isn't open, they're not, they can't pay their employees and they're not making any money either. You know, this one guy owns a bar that's not very big. And so he's got a hard time too. And here I am criticizing people who are going out to bars spreading the virus and then I have to reevaluate that because everybody has to make a living so I've found that songwriting is something that I've kind of had to put on the back burner 
I'm curious, Sebastian, how much was the murder of George Floyd? I mean, was it widely reported in Paraguay? Yes, it was. I mean, it was something that my students were asking about a whole lot. I think what it encapsulated for the international community was a general sense that the powers that be are not necessarily looking out for your well-being. And in Paraguay, we, I think everybody, and this is something that spans class in Paraguay, nobody's happy with the police. Nobody likes the police here. So it encapsulated different kinds of rage. I think the international community saw their own plight reflected in the Black Lives Matter movement, where it wasn't necessarily about African-American experience in America so much as about the disenfranchised communities everywhere or about anything that you could point a finger at the powers that be about. And so it kind of reminds me of what Flacco was saying where, hey, 2008, you were coming to my shows, but were you not listening to what to what I was saying? And all of a sudden here, everyone has it quite uh, in their face that, hmm, turns out the government isn't necessarily looking out for us. And, and not just the U.S. government, but our government, Colombia's government, Brazil, all over the place. Just because you are in power doesn't mean you're looking out for uh, the people, your constituents, right? It sounds like both of you have been able to do some musical work. I mean, Flocker, it sounds like you've been incredibly pro prolific during this time as a musician. And Sebastian, you said you put it on a back burner to some extent, but you both have maintained your identities as musicians during this time. Do you think that's helped you kind of get through it in a sane state? Um, or am I being too hopeful? <laughs> Flocko? I think you might be right. I don't know what else I would have been doing <laughs> if I wasn't making music. I, I tried to paint for like two days and I was like, nah, I'm not doing this anymore. Yeah. So I no, I think you, I think you might be right. Yeah. It, it definitely provided some sort of sanity because uh, it's something to look forward to. Sebastian? I think my title is a social critic. And so sometimes social critics just got to be quiet and just got to listen and take it all in. And, you know, maybe in a little while I'll have something to say. But yeah, I think the identity is something to to fall back on. Definitely. It's something that's always there. And, and when you strip everything away, you can still be, feel all right in the end of the day because that's what's there. Do you feel like it's a responsibility, Flacco, like that you have to say this stuff, like get out there and, and, and put it out there Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday? Or do you feel like it's just for you? Nah, I feel like it's just, <laughs> I, I sound really selfish right now. I feel like <laughs> I, I feel like it's just for me. And if anybody connects with it and enjoys it, then we're kind of in partnership with that. But I think that there are folks a lot smarter than me and that are doing the work that either I'm not educated to do or I don't want to fucking do. So it's like, man, I'm just making songs. You know what I mean? There are people that were leading those protests last summer. I was just standing in the crowd. You know what I mean? So I, I feel like for the most part, it's just for me. And I, I leave all of the real leadership to the actual leaders. I'm just trying to do my like little part, I guess. Do you feel like this is responsibility? I don't want to say yes, but yes. Yeah, I do feel like <laughs> I do feel like it's somewhat of a responsibility. I do. Uh, maybe because I'm playing with a band where it's like, oh, hey, man, we've got this beat. You know, the song's done. The chorus is ready. You know, where's your lyrics? 
or you came with this song, but you know, you, you weren't sure about this two lines in this verse and it's been two months where your lines. And so there was a feeling like, Hey, you know, you have a responsibility to, to say the truth and to put it out there. And there's sometimes where you just don't want to do it. There's sometimes where you just don't want to say anything. And, you know, people are asking, like you said, people are asking you to collaborate. People are asking you to say this. People are asking us to go out and, and march at this protest, at the other protest. And, man, sometimes you're scared. You know, there's a thousand people out there at this protest. You got to wear a mask and all this. And sometimes you're just like, I have no energy personally to go out and fight for the fight that we're all fighting. But I, so, yeah, I, I do feel somewhat responsible. And it's something that kind of got to get over. You know, I, I, I have to get over it. I got to get over that ego. I'm, I just got to be one part. And as long as I can be that one part, that one grain of sand, that one little rock, that's enough. That's enough. And sometimes it's hard to get over that ego. Yeah. For de definitely for sure. And I um I, I do want to say when you framed it that way, and I was like, I definitely feel a responsibility to to collaborators. I feel a responsibility to the audience in the sense of, you know, if I say the show's gonna start at eight, we try to start at eight, like those sorts of things. I also do feel the responsibility of if I'm gonna open my mouth and say something, it should be something of merit or something worthwhile because you get bullshit from anywhere. But then, like, that's kind of where it stops. And then I'm like, all right, now the rest of this shit is for me. Let's have some fun. Like <laughs> yeah, man. That's good. That's great, man. That's great. Well, listen, thank you so much, both of you. Sebastian Arce in Asuncion in Paraguay and Flocco Torres in Akron, Ohio. Yes, yeah. that's, that's us, Rachel. Thank you. Thank you so thank much. Thank you, Rachel. And you can find out more about both of my guests, as well as how to access their music in the notes which accompany this podcast. COVID Conversations Life in a Time of Corona is a production of the Center for Folklore Studies at The Ohio State University. It's funded by the university's Global Arts and Humanities Discovery Theme Grant Initiative. So many people have been instrumental in making this series happen that I can't mention them all here, but I would like to express special thanks to Paul Kottheimer, Cassie Paston, Nick Spitulski, and Jasper Waugh-Quaysbar. I'm Rachel Hopkin, and thank you for listening. Thank you.